Hello and welcome to the Miss Jones Watches podcast. In this episode, we talk to Edward Corbello Monaghan, designer of Edward's World, Chaos Window, The Last Bloom, Vanishing Point, and Psychedelic Sunset. Keep listening to find out what inspires his work, what he's working on at the moment, and how his art has developed over the years. Hi, Edward, how are you? Hello, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm very well, thank you. Good. So just to start the interview off, how did you come to design for Mr. Jones Watches? Um, I think I think um, it was after I exhibited some work at the Pick Me Up Fair in uh, the Somerset House in London. Um, mm-hmm. It was a sort of illustration fair that's um, sadly stopped now. But what would happen is um, every year you'd get cutting edge artists to come and you know exhibit some work and um like yourself oh yeah exactly i'm i'm cu- i'm a cutting edge katana like um illustrator apparently so it was nice <laughs> to be put up there i had some i had three of these these big daft pictures um of some sort of over decorated uh kind of standard bearing type cartoons um there was one that that was like um, a cellar of sort of divine liquids that had um, a big hat that the cellar's kid lived on, as well as a dog. Anyway, so I think Crispin saw these daft pictures, and because the um, I suppose the uh, the um, what's it called, the Oxo Tower, isn't too far away. Mm-hmm. So I imagine he just trotted down and had a look one day, and. I think he got in contact with me through that, and so from that point onwards, we've. Um, I think it's my um, my longest running relationship with any with any clients. I've done more work with Crispin than than anyone else at all. So I'm very I'm very happy with that. Crispin is a good cat, and Jones Watches mm-hmm. is a good company. This is um, public <laughs> advertisement. All should know. <laughs> if you want some good cats? This is where to come. <laughs> and how did you start your career as an illustrator well, I sort of um I hit the ground running a bit after uh after I finished university or rather I sort of knew that I'd be hitting the ground running after I finished university so I made a, a bit of a snazzy website for the time with, which had lots of um lots of gifs and sorts of um bright bold sort of flashing, mind-numbing bits and pieces on it. So it was a fairly innovative website for the time, and I think that got around through things like, it's nice that um, there were some people posting it online, and as a result of um, putting those bits and pieces into the fray, I, I started work at this um, this technology company where I sort of, I did some um, sort of instruction manuals and bits and pieces to... I don't know, to so just um, get some get some money in whilst I was living in my sort of strange Stoke Newington squat with vagabonds and um, eventually managed to crawl my way out of the uh, the swarming the swarming mass um, just from people like Crispin coming and noticing the work up and, and giving me opportunities. So it's sort of I didn't really do much like liaising with anyone I'm not really I'm not really too much of a social type in that regard I just put enough weird stuff around can I I'm I'm not allowed to swear am I that's that's bad 
Yeah, I think you can swear. Also, I was going to say I could just put lots of crap all over the all over the internet. <laughs> That's what I have um, continued to do ever since. And I, I suppose um, people people like to promote it and put it around and. That's what I've sort of relied on ever since, yeah. I hope that's helpful. Yeah, it is. What did you study um, at university and what type of work were you doing there? I went, I went to St. Martin's and um, I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do to do at first because I suppose originally I wanted to, to do what might have been considered fine art. I don't know. Sick, the, you know, in the sixties and previous to that, but the problem is, what what I found anyway is that um, fine art these days is more to do with um, it's more to do with like finding an object, putting it in a gallery, and um, arguing semantics with people, or um, sorts of like a post postmodern sort of sneering critique and. Um, I would have liked to do fine art that was a bit more interested in sorts of anatomy, a um, bit more interested in composition, painting, that kind of thing. Uh, and I couldn't manage to do that at CSM, unfortunately, really, because that's just not the that's not the way the winds were blowing. So I did um, graphic design, I did, but then I sort of moved moved along the pathways towards towards illustration because it seemed to be the closest fit for a for drawing so um i suppose i just always wanted to do drawing and whatever course would offer that to me would be best um i think the the best people at drawing seem to be the fashion people because they got good training in um, anatomy and form and all that kind of thing but uh, i didn't want to make clothes so um yeah that's that's the way it, that's the way i sort of moved through and i did lots of um I, I I tend to do tended to do lots of research based work. Um, I, I did you know projects on uh, sorts of ancient Mesopotamia, for example, uh, as a result of going through the British Museum and checking out the um, Assyrian um, slabs or that kind of thing. All of the the lion hunting work and I can't remember exactly what they're called, but those strange phallic cow gods um, um, from um, that would be around the ziggurats of Mesopotamia. Uh, yeah, I sort of, I sort of had a bit of, um, I, like, I sort of developed a bit of a sort of a modern entanglement with, with tradition, I suppose, which I think has even moved further into the work that I do for, I do for Mr. Jones. Just, I hope that makes um, that makes some sense. But um, yeah, I, I realised in the last year. That I was going to have to move away from from too much interest in traditional forms to finding something a bit flashy because um, I was going to have to be out on my ass if I I didn't really want to have a uh, you know a sort of normal job because I don't really like chain of command kind of stuff I'd prefer to be a bit more freewheeling doing my own kind of thing and not having to answer to anyone really and mm -hmm. um, I could have maybe worked my way up slowly and developed a particular kind of particular kind of um, work through institutions which people have done excellently well I mean people like Malika Favre I think that's you say her name and um, I think she was working at an agency for quite a long time and she's got one of the most unique styles of artwork um, 
you know you can find around in the sort of general graphic art illustration sphere but but I, I had done ants in my pants I suppose so I, I developed quite the flashy work that I was talking about before like the website and the thick lines and the um the sort of color choice which you couldn't really ignore not not easily anyway and um mm -hmm. that's what I started to do in my third year um I did more of the uh, more of the traditional interest was um in my dissertation and then I just for my practical work I started to just do um a lot more bold pieces of work and and so from third year onwards it, it, it never really sat exactly well with me. It was fine at the time, but I, I knew I wasn't going to want to do it forever. I just had to try and make some. I had to try and make some money because London's a fairly difficult place to manage to live in. Otherwise, as as you can you know, probably imagine, you still do that style, don't you? Where you have like bold colours and thick outlines, either. Yeah, I still, um, I I still do do it, um, and I suppose I made the compromise instead of um, exploring more sort of tonal and textural work with just everything becoming much more complicated and um, the spaces in which the colours would fit being more compact and, um, and difficult. Did you say that you started doing that work because you think it's more commercial? Uh, yeah, yeah, it, it was explicitly because it was um, commercial at the time. I mean, it's not that... Um, you know, it's it's not that it was purely purely money making. When I when I think about any of these these kind of um, uh, branching paths, if I wanted to just do money making commercial stuff, I would have just gone to another company and and made some made some money. You know, like in some kind of in some other kind of job. But um, mm -hmm. I, I suppose the problem is if you want to develop as as an artist. Or at least me. I mean, I'm no uh, like um, I'm no prodigal son, so I think I just need to keep myself working and keep my brain initiated. Uh, so in order to do that, I wanted to to be able to do something which was at least close to the way I might be thinking or um, the way my brain might work, instead of having to um, instead of having to imagine someone else's ideas in that form. So there's always a bit of a a bit of a give and take. I could give my drawing skills altogether over to someone, or I could develop um, my uh, my own particular vision to a lesser degree because it's a lot a lot more simple and requires less requires less work. I mean, I did lots of googly eyes back then, and I you know this is an industry secret for any other illustrators out there. Put some put some googly eyes or some anime eyes on anything, and you'll get. You'll you'll get people interested, you know, no problem. <laughs> I've never heard of that. That's so weird. <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely. Like, yeah, the, these days especially as well, because you know, there's lot, there's this sort of lo-fi, um, eight, like tail of tail end of the eighties, early nineties anime kind of. Um, <laughs> I don't know whether you've seen that in the fashion kind of scene. Lots of people making t-shirts like that. Yeah, definitely. So I can tell you, yeah, if you put some eyes on something, you'll do all right. But by the time, <laughs> by the time I got to the the stuff at Pick Me Up, I was starting to refine my my work a bit. So that was luckily that was luckily when when you know Crispin saw the work. I think. Um, What's Pick Me Up? Sorry, is it an agency? No, Pick Pick Me Up was a thing. The Somerset House. It was that. It was the the exhibition. Oh yeah, the fair. Exactly. Yeah. So it was the art fair. Uh, Somerset House and the stuff that I was doing there was a slight move on to refining my work and every single time I do a piece of work I'm trying to move a little bit 
further into refining it up until the point now where instead of sort of looking at modern illustration as um as uh, some sort of inspiration i've got a piranesi book with here with me and you know like some like max ernst and you know all of, all of the classic kind of stuff so that was always the aim to try and situate myself um, a bit closer to that kind of thing and i know it's nice crispin's really given me the opportunity to do that because that's one thing I see in all of the watches that I've been doing with him. Every single one gets better up until the mm -hmm. new. Is this a secret, the new one, or can I? I think it's a secret, yeah. Do you know when it's going to be released now? Because I know that it was last September before, is that right? I think it's, um, yeah, but I think now it's July. Well, this is supposed to be released in July, this episode, so maybe you could talk a bit about it. Well, maybe I'll talk about it very briefly and not really give okay. much of the game away. But but I suppose the nice thing is that um, I've got all the different generations of my work so far on watches. And mm -hmm. and that's that's really nice because it's a, I don't know, it's a timeline. It's a timeline of the way my work's progressed. And um, this recent watch uh, is by far the best piece of you know, by far the best watch, I'd say. Um, mm -hmm. me mechanically, it's more thought out. It's got more detail involved. Um, it's got more of a story behind it as well. Whereas the stories in the past ones were were nice and everything. They they were they were maybe a bit clunky. So like Edward's World, for example, um, that that was in a formative stage of of work. That was when I was trying to move out of um, simply bold into something a bit more idiosyncratic. And now I've gotten to the point where um, I, I've sort of run on, I run on empty. I can just sort of um, develop something fairly, fairly naturally. It just sort of, it just sort of um, emerges, and um, it's nice to see. It's nice to see that on that's on a watch because it will be in comparison, I think, quite superior to the other ones. Mm -hmm. Can you talk uh, me through your design process when doing something like designing a watch for us? Um, designing designing the watch is actually quite a bit different to to other to other bits and pieces because I suppose you have always got um you like with the watch you've always got a number of different images always in your head so if I'm doing a flat mm -hmm. image like um portrait or landscape I will have a flat image in mind and everything will be contained on the flat image. Whatever trickery I'm, you know, using, whatever perspective games will be going on, they will be in one, on one surface. And um, if you imagine maybe like a, a screen, like a screen printer, someone who uses lots of levels of color, they would maybe already have uh, five different images all to be layered on top of each other. And they will be thinking through their image in that kind of that kind of regard. So doing stuff for Crispin is a bit like that, except maybe it's less layers, maybe it's um, two layers, maybe with some extra parts to do with the watch watch hands. So maybe that could be three layers. But the main two layers they're not as simple as just being overlaid on top of each other. Uh, you know, adding texture, sort of. Um, uh, shades uh, sort of tonal values it's more to do with the way they move and it's the way that they move throughout um, that kind of a spectral arrangement so I suppose the difficult thing and the, the really interesting thing the thing that I quite like about it 
is that you are challenged to see these things from all different perspectives. So I suppose, um, I suppose in that regard, uh, like you know, not not to not to you know gloat or anything, but but maybe I'd be a a, a good fit for it because that's a you know a theme that comes about in my work quite often. Not to say I've got the best watches, you know, in the mm-hmm. in the company either. I think the way that, for example, like Fanny thinks about um, her arrangements is is far superior to to mine at the moment. And you know, I'm very impressed by the way other people in the company have been able to handle the idea. But yeah, I think um, it, it's a very difficult it's a very difficult thing to take on. And I don't know hard hard to work hard to work around because often people work in maybe like universal universal sorts of formats working on a circle is actually very difficult because it's mm-hmm. you, you know you sort of you have images of a mandala you have sort of like a, a like an idea of um a sort of like thing flowing out from a center it always motivates you to put things at the center to have a, an essentially oriented piece of work especially when you've got the watch hands coming from the middle yeah, maybe means that you can't use the same kind of structures that you might usually do because my vanishing points won't necessarily be in the in the center of something. But uh, it's an interesting it, it's an interesting problem to solve. It's it's a nice one to use. You know, it feels good to anyone's practice, I'd imagine, to to be able to be solving problems in that kind of scale and arrangement. You know, it's it's gratifying. It's useful. Before designing a watch, does um. Has Chris been given you like the movement before you've started designing or does he give you like, does he say like start drawing and then he puts it, he tries to work it into the movement of the watch? Uh, no, he always has a talk with me about the, uh, like about the the movements and the way that they're going to, the way they're going to work. Um, you know, he'll mention, oh, I've got a special movement, you know, uh, it's a limited release. That's one nice thing about working with Crispin, actually. Like, he'll give me all the weird projects. Like, he'll go, oh, I've got this strange thing over here. You reckon you can knock something up for it? Mm-hmm. So I think that's that's quite a nice relationship. And mm-hmm. and he'll talk me through the way it works. And I mean, I'm, I'm a, like, I'm an utter layman with this kind of stuff. So, so it takes a little bit of thinking around. Mm-hmm. But, um, it, you know, it's a nice challenge. And, yeah, Crispin goes through it thoroughly. He'll... He'll um, show me how all the movements work. He'll, he'll, uh, you know, let me twiddle around with them for a bit. Obviously, not too much, you know. Otherwise, I'll tear the tear the bloody things apart. But, but yeah, he he lets me lets me have a good play around with them, and you know, it's quite good for being able to get to get images in your mind. Mm-hmm. Um, you've also worked with Swatch, haven't you? So, have you always been interested in watches? Um, I wouldn't say I've always been interested in watches. I had a Mickey Mouse watch when I was younger. <laughs> that's about the extent that's as of far it. as your watch collection goes yeah exactly exactly I, i'm not really i'm not really a connoisseur of anything i don't think um i'm obsessed with art i suppose so i'm a connoisseur of art not in a sort of like poncy over the top like oh you want to go to the museum see the new <laughs> exhibition of us you know just sort of I, I i'll collect art books and i'll spend all of my time to, all of my time perusing them and maybe that sort of that interest in absorbing just about every image that I possibly can into my cranium is is a similar kind of um, itch to scratch that uh, that you'd maybe get for watch collectors. But it's never been my mm-hmm. thing. I mean, may, maybe if I maybe if I start bringing in the big truckloads of cash, I mean, <laughs> maybe then I can go for what you know, being a connoisseur of watches. Because uh, if you've got a visual, if you if you're visually inclined. 
you cannot deny that watches are some of the most beautiful things that that humans have ever made. Mm-hmm. Do you wear your own watches? I do. I do. Yeah. I I always well, I always wear the chaos window if I'm you know if I'm going to go out for a date or something or if I'm gonna. <laughs> going to go to like a you know sort of family family gathering or something like that i'll always because like um it's very difficult to explain what kind of work you do as as maybe the um listeners to this podcast uh, have recognized by now but uh it's difficult to explain what you do and you know the watch is the perfect way of me showing the sort of way my my sort of um i don't know strange crusted mind works and mm-hmm. um i can sort of you know explain the sort of like perspective uh, tricks i often use with my work and um and also just people are really impressed with it because you know who who has who has a watch that they've designed mm-hmm. you know who has that it's it's an incredibly rare thing and you know it's a nice thing to be able to show because when I do actually show people, they're kind of amazed. And it's not just because of the design of the watch themselves, just because the opportunity to even do it exists. The the possibility is is so unlikely to them. So um, mm-hmm. that's kind of a nice thing to see. P- people really get quite enthusiastic about them. Um, I actually... I, my mum, my mum does kind of like a, an open, an open studios thing. I'm going to do a plug. I'm really a Cavalio stained glass, <laughs> you know, glass, glass for all, glass for everyone. Anyway, she she does um, she she does this little exhibition in in the summer, and um, and she does one around Christmas as well. And um, she's been getting on at me to to put some stuff in because I don't really like exhibiting but very much. I don't really like putting my, my my stuff up. I'm not really comfortable enough with my my prints just yet. Really, not um, mm-hmm. they are. Yeah, I think I'll be. I think I'll know when I've got the right one that I can put up. There's only a couple I'd be wanting to at the moment. But um, at this exhibition, uh, I put um, I put all of all of the watches that I've assembled over the years. And people looking at these were so bloody impressed. It was quite spectacular. Uh, yeah, people were looking around and picking them up and and having a good look at them. And yeah, they were just um, they were amazed. You know, just uh, just that these kind of things even exist. So um, mm-hmm. yeah, I so not only do I do I wear them around, but um, I uh, you know when I have the opportunity like that, I'll show them off. And so I mean, hopefully when when uh, Crispin's an old codger, you know, with like a cane and a big, big old white long beard, you know, when he's, uh, when we go to visit him in the, uh, well, hopefully he won't be in a, a home, but, you know, hopefully uh, he'll, he'll be in a, like a nice uh, stately home or something with a, with a kind of like array of people, look, you know, looking after him. Then, then I can go and I can go and show him like a, a whole, a whole sort of, of yeah exactly a whole suitcase full of them we can uh re- you know reminisce on on all of the good stuff we've come up with and i mean i think this this new one i think this new one's definitely a start of um i don't know a more a, like a more serious a more serious endeavor and hopefully that continues to be the case because i'm really i'm really up for this one i think this one will mm-hmm. pretty impress you've been working on it a long time now haven't you how long have you been working on it I worked on it on and off for, for bloody ages. Um, 
in a good way. I really liked it. You know, that's one of the nice things about doing this kind of work. Um, we sort of, uh, Crispin gives me enough space to, um, to just sort of develop. And it's quite a lovely, lovely thing, you know, that he, that he allows. But um, there, there were a number of iterations it went through. So there was the first one. I think I called. I think I called it in my files. Idiomain, like so. It's not like it was a big picture of Idi Amin's face or anything like that. It was. Um, it was like a, a land of idioms, mm-hmm. and so there were cutouts for for each hour that would um, relate to to some kind of idiom, some kind of uh, saying. So, for example, there'd be a wall. Uh, then then it would go to like I don't know maybe three o'clock then when it went to three o'clock there would be um, a window that opened and then there would be like the devil's the devil's tail coming out of um, the brickwork so that would be the devils in the details for example yeah I remember I think I saw a sample of it yeah exactly and and so so we were doing bits and pieces for that there was um there was like a statue of a woman with a bonnet and there was you know I think that was nine o'clock. There'd be a, uh, there'd be nothing, and then there'd be a bee going into the bonnets, et cetera, et cetera. Like ants in your pants. I think that was the. So, so there were you know little bits and pieces that were that didn't work quite so well because of the. Because each window had to have a slot open, it meant that um, it meant that the spaces open on the actual watch face had to be quite small. And it meant that the level of detail which went into including each of these parts and also the coordination around around the dial was very, very difficult indeed. And um, I think the printing didn't work as well as as well as we might have liked because of, you know, because of that being the case. Whereas with this um, with this, the, the design we're on at the moment, uh, there's one there's one sec I, I suppose I shouldn't talk about the exact details with it but um there are there are less sections so for the last one there would have had to be 12 sections for this one I think there are three sections three main sections and um they all have bigger sec they all have um, bigger inserts uh, you know it, it, like it means that there's more repetition in each of the areas so more uh, for people to recognize as they're looking through, which I think is probably helpful with my work, because when you read one of my watches, you can't really tell what the time is unless you get used to reading it. So to have things a bit more clearly in some defined spaces, I think was quite quite a useful thing for this one. And so that took a while. Um, I, I can't remember exactly how long. I'm not I'm I'm not so good with the with the old timeline, but um Mm-hmm. But but the thing is, when when doing this kind of work, when working for Crispin, I suppose I don't really he he he's he's not a taskmaster. He's he's not difficult to work with in the slightest. So I never really felt like I was in a rush. So I never never felt pressed, and so therefore I enjoyed it. And you know, don't even recognise how long it took really. But it's been sort mm-hmm. of on and off for maybe about maybe about a year. I think that freedom is. Um needed when designing something like a watch anyway so it's good that you had that when designing the watches yeah I think so I think so especially if you want to come up with something new eh? Mm -hmm. um so do you do much commission work or do you mainly do projects for yourself um this year 
I've um, I've done mainly mainly. Um, it's hard to say actually. It, it it works different from year to year. So so this year I've I've been working on big commissions, but they basically are personal work because of the nature like of the commission. Whereas uh, earlier on this year, late late what well, the sort of I think from summer until winter last year, I was doing something that was much more commission based. And I think over the years, it has come to be the case that most people who do get me to do commissions, they tend to want my personal work anyway, mm-hmm. a version of it. So um, the difference is quite hard to, to distinguish. The, the only time there is a, like quite an observable difference is when you're doing stuff for like newspapers or sorts of um, like, like articles, um, editorials, that kind of thing, because um, mm-hmm. it's quite led by the idea inherent within that that piece of writing and um it's also it needs to be done a lot quicker so there's there's not really much time to really to really consider how you can innovate with it which can be quite a nice nice challenge to develop yourself but i suppose at the moment i like to develop myself in a a bit more like long considered kind of way so i'd mm-hmm. so i'd say at the moment it's quite hard to tell which which way i'm which way i'm doing it but that's quite a nice place to be. I'm very glad I'm, I'm in that position. That's what I've been working for. Uh, do you have a favourite project that you've done in the past that comes to mind? It's got to be this, rec- this recent one. Uh, do, do, do you mean aside from this recent one or the ones that... By the recent one, do you mean the watch or... I mean, the yeah, the... Oh, sorry, yes. Um, you mean in general, artwork in general? I mean in general, yeah. yeah. Oh, right, Um. I think this recent one for both the watches and my personal and my personal and commission work is most exciting. But unfortunately, I can't really talk too much about it because it's. Um, uh, I, I mean, these companies tend to be a bit more lit- litigative. Let's say <laughs> I don't want to get caught up. I don't want to get caught up in that. This project. I mean, maybe if I could be, maybe if I could be a bit more bleak about it it gives me the opportunity to basically have a massive canvas and send designs that don't necessarily have to be have to be purchased so i quite like that i don't want to be under someone's um whip you know i don't want to have money lowered over me someone to go okay now you got to do what we say you got to you know you got to put this um I don't know, you've got to put this sort of uh, tree in in this way, or you've got to um, mm-hmm. put this sort of like, I don't know, goblet made of elephants, you know, in this particular nook or cranny. Um, although I would like to put a goblet of elephants in most most of my work. That sounds like a, a good thing to do. Uh, but um, I, the, the thing about this project that's good is that you've got a broad open space to do whatever. And they choose to buy it or they don't so that's good because it means that I have the motivation to to make it worth buying and I quite like that Mm -hmm. I like um I like that kind of attitude I don't really want to be ferried through things I don't want to be I just want to I want to create heroic art (laughs) and um yeah I suppose uh, that's that's the um that's the opportunity and I like the challenge of it that's the benefits of the stuff at the moment and I think that would make it my favorite because it's um, all of the things coalesce to make it so so I've been working on Corinthian capitals and understanding how they work because before you just sort of observe them and go oh yeah yeah I've seen them they look cool they hold up a building nice no problem 
Whereas, whereas when you actually look at them a bit further and spend a bit of time like working into them, like and like I suppose an architect would naturally do, you you start to realise that they are actually made of. They are, there are patterns in there that um, show themselves to you, and to have a bit more time to comprehend them through drawing is quite important. Uh, in, to me, anyway, not to anyone bloody else, but to you know, <laughs> to me, I find it an important thing, and I did a bit of research as well. I've been. I was looking into the the bloke who came up with the original Corinthian capital, and he just saw some acanthus leaves growing around um, a sort of simple pillar capital. I, it was either that, or I think it was maybe a, a basket with a slab on it, which looked like a capital. And that's how um, he, he took some observations of it, and that came to be the Corinthian capital. And I just thought that was kind of an amazing, an amazing little story, and you can only really come up with that unless you were bumbling about. If you were directed, you'd never come out with it. <laughs> so I like to bumble a bit. I'm, I'm glad to have the opportunity to bumble about. <laughs> when did you start to get inspiration from architecture for your work? Because in your um, art, there's lots of buildings and rooms and like structures. I'm not really sure, actually. I, I, I think that my... Um, I've always been drawn to sort of uh, early, early Christian arts. And I suppose... Um, I suppose that you sort of see this um, transition from when they were, were like the early the early Christian artists doing sorts of flat images, you know, the sorts of stuff you'd see on like a like like a Greek vase, but more contemporary to their times. And then you sort of start to see them developing perspective, you know, like in Italy and uh, like moving further towards understanding people in an environment and mm -hmm. um, that sort of renaissance interest in, interest in sort of uh, maybe understanding people and their and their situation within it I think is something naturally that you know emerges as you're growing up as well as through the art I was looking at so you're trying to think yourself like who am I in the world and you know what what is the world how does it work how can it be improved, bettered, all that kind of thing. And I think it's a natural, like a natural emergence, personally anyway. Mm -hmm. And um, that has always been the base for me, because, you know, when you go on holiday with your, your family, you always see sort of, um, you know, like a bit of stained glass, a bit of, uh, you know, painted work in a cathedral or church or something along those lines. I remember in my family's from my mum's family's from Portugal and um, mm -hmm. we saw there there was an old um, it's not a palace exactly but it will be the place where the aristocrat of the town used to live and and they've got some old um, Chinese style sort of uh, you know the, the point at which the Chinese were mixing the Portuguese were mixing with the Chinese and where they were starting the Portuguese were starting to develop their their uh, blue tiling their sort of um, very famous blue tiling methods uh, from the influence of the Chinese. And you see this sort of stuff, the sort of like flat designs over there. But um, then as I, I was getting older, I, I was sort of more interested in like uh, uh, philosophy and things like that. Um, you know, sort of, um, I suppose you get something like Plato's Cave or, or you get, um, you know, sort of M.C. Escher or the Penrose staircase, and you get more ideas built into it. So then the 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 architecture started to be the uh, structure upon which um, sorts of ideas can, can form, and they can conflict against each other. 
and the idea of a building uh, could uh, contrast in on itself and it could um, cancel itself out on a flat surface. I know this sounds not like nonsense, but that's um, it's trying to kind of hard to explain <laughs> like how you how your you know mind might think about this no it makes sense does it actually. that's good i'm, I'm glad yeah, <laughs> <laughs> where else do you look um to for inspiration apart from like structures and the way that structures work in society um where else do i look for is i've read that you um that music is an inspiration for your artwork you know music's not quite so important to me anymore um, was that a stage? Yeah, that, that I think that was a stage. Um, uh, I, I suppose, like like these days, when I'll go for when I'll you know drive my car, I always listen to like um, Radio Three. Um, mm-hmm. I'll listen to Radio Six when I'm making my dinner. But um, I suppose my interest in in music has changed along with my interest in in art. And my my capabilities, I suppose, as well. So so when I was when I was fairly naive, um, I would have liked stuff from the sixties about um, reconstruct reconstructing society, new forms, tearing old things down, and um, I suppose what you see is that they never really uh, settled on anything better than, than classical music. Um, lots of people came up with amazing work, like for example, Popovu in in um in germany but they're classically inspired uh, you know they they were sort of in the 70s uh, they they had a sort of like progressive bent to them and they had a sort of godly attitude i'd say and not that i you not that i particularly believe in god but i i sort of do have that that kind of that kind of idea that um I, I suppose I'm not really in with the contemporary art kind of idea that everything can be art and that art is all good as each other as everything else. Um, you know, when I look at a modern when I look at modern buildings, there are different categories of modern. So there will be like the, you know, there will be like um, Trellick Tower, or there will be a Corbusier privately owned house, and then you can compare that to like. Um, you know, sort of like uh, European palaces or, I don't know, like a Japanese temple. And you can see that there's something going on there, which I think is um, more considered and superior in something like a Japanese temple. There is the same consideration for uh, functionality. Uh, There is the same consideration for uh, a sort of a graceful, graceful way of carrying oneself and that doesn't just have to be in a temple in Japan it's a common thing in all other in all other vernacular houses that you would find in Japan and I think that kind of atmosphere that kind of uh, graceful attitude towards life um, I think is something that I've been trying to look towards ever since that interest in the kind of 60s music because the 60s music has a philosophical attitude to it it then moves into the 70s where it maybe reaches some of its heights, but then it develops more into a sort of more general pop. And then some artists like Frank Zappa would go on to making sort of experimental art, maybe a bit more like Shostakovich. Um, then you would have um, a sort of move more into, you know, maybe like uh, electronic music. You would have bands like, um, you know, Kraftwerk and people like that uh, emerging later. 
Then you had lots of like uh, revivals of romanticism in the 80s, like with the new romantics, um, you know, uh, who you, you had like rebellions against the system resurging again as the 60s with the punk movement. I think you get that same kind of thing with grime these days. Um, and I think if I'd been younger, I probably would have liked grime, but I don't really re- regard it very well, uh, you know, just because it seems to me, me seems to me to be a bit of a hissy fit that young people have. Whereas now that you know what I mean, like, um, it, it, like uh, I think this uh, this occurs over and over again, and every generation has their their revolutions, and yeah, just in different forms. Exactly, exactly. But but a, a clever society understands that allows the revolutions, but then builds you up into uh, it builds you up into more refined work. Um, and it starts to take what you've learned and move it to something potentially higher. And I think that kind of attitude is certainly what I'm going through now, uh, a bit more interest in, in refinement and um, trying to take what I think is good about, about that sort of revolution and move it forwards um, has definitely gone except in the sort of like pointless rebellion of youth now it's more of a rebellion against the pointless rebellion you know what i mean (laughs) it's a process exactly yeah yeah i i suppose i'm looking for a bit more peace now uh and i'm maybe finding it i think i'm i think i'm happily finding it i moved back moved back to burnham where i grew up it's not all that Mm -hmm. you know it's not a posh place (laughs) you know it's it's um uh, my, my voice might, you know, my voice might lead you to believe one thing, but where I grew up would lead you to believe another. And um, I, I suppose I've made my peace with it. And um, I'm trying to make peace with other aspects of my life at the moment and uh, make a kind of work which I will be um, happy, happy to be around in the future that will reflect well on, uh, reflect well on my town, reflect well on my family and hopefully reflect well on your company and and for you know Crispin for having the having the interest and in getting me on. I hope I won't fail him in in my efforts. I'm sure you won't. <laughs> well, thanks very much. Have you always been interested in like philosophy, and has it always like inspired your work? Yeah, definitely, definitely. There's the, the, there's a big problem with trying to to um, sort of understand philosophy visually, though. I, I yeah, I do remember reading in Plato that he's trying to decide a hierarchy of forms and. And um, the kind of work that I do would be the tertiary one that he describes, which is like the the lowest. But um, I think he was wrong on that, as he was wrong on, <laughs> you know, like lots of other things as well. Um, not that I could exactly enumerate them too well. I'm not a proper. I, I'm not a philosopher by any, by any means. But um, mm-hmm. I I suppose I suppose I feel that um, we we as a sort of modern society have been let down a bit. Going to somewhere like St Martin's, it is now a it's now an Andy Warhol factory of um, of bits and pieces of consumer items for the future, and mm-hmm. um, it's trends for the future. It is. Uh, um, it, it's a kind of thing that makes me a bit uneasy there's there's something there's something humans need that everyone knows no one can explain and that um i'm trying to create and i think if i study you know people who have who have thought well and graciously and uh, look at people's work you know of the same nature then then maybe i can make better work in the future because i i feel as though the world at the moment 
um, is not the world, sorry, the West is shrouded in nihilism. And I find this to be a very uncomfortable, unnecessary attitude because we're, we're surrounded by beautiful things all over the place. You know, we, we have a well-working, well-oiled system. And I think people are just acting far too spoiled. Um, and I think they need to, I think generally need to get a grip on themselves and start creating good things. And that's what I'm trying to do. I'm not trying to moan. I'm trying to, I'm, I'm trying to see what is good in the world and and present it and that's my mission you know i hope i don't sound i hope i don't sound too 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 lofty and, and condescending because i i recognize more than anyone uh, the the um the problems with my own work how lacking it is and um how it does not fit the kind of the, you know the kind of in enlightenment i would like to like to achieve and probably never will but but the the will is there, and I think the will is the important the important thing. And you know, a good natured will. I hopefully hope is what what I can encourage, as well as sort of embolisms and you know, sort of <laughs> uh, you know, sort of bl- like a uh, heart attacks in the bl- in the brain. I don't I don't even know what to reply to. You. <laughs> That's often the case. I... Yeah. <laughs> no thank it's been really interesting listening to like your port your point of view <laughs> well I, I, yeah i hope it's um i i don't know i um i i i don't like to be i don't like to be nasty you know to anyone about this kind of stuff but i think i think in terms of systems they are running systems run by disingenuous people who um do not deserve praise i don't think uh and I think the kind of thing that um, Chris Bindan is praiseworthy. I think that the fact mm-hmm. that he's given us an opportunity to do what we do is truly praiseworthy. And, and um, you know, I think this is the, these are the important things in, you know, these are the important things in life. Like we can keep the basic stuff going. Anyone can. You don't need to be too much of a clever clogs to, to do that. But the thing that you do need is... Um, there's a degree of enlightenment to, to to give people the opportunity to pursue their their goals and ambitions and dreams and all that kind of thing and be, being a bit mad's all right but you have to you have to make it out of the madness into into some kind of harmony of the, in, with the world or the world will just spit you back out it will chew you up mm-hmm. i think and if you're angry at the world that will happen you know ever faster mm-hmm. Thank you so much for your time and coming on. Pleasure. Edward is a really interesting artist with a unique style. I hope from listening to this episode, you have found out more about Edward's work process and how he found adapting his work to fit a watch design. You can see Edward's work over on his website, edwardcarvellomonahan.co.uk or on its Instagram page, edward underscore monahan. Thanks for listening. We have a new episode coming out every Wednesday. And until then, you can find us on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook at Mr. Jones Watches.